0: We're going to uh, have a prayer and then we're going to think a little bit more about Matthew uh, chapter nine. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've already been learning there about Jesus and his great compassion. And we pray for us as we consider your word more together now. Lord, continue to speak to us, we pray. Lord, help us to receive your word. Give us humble hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we uh, just look at these four verses together, we've got three, three words to, to think about. The first word is kingdom. The second word is crowd. And the third word is harvest. And what we're gonna do, we're gonna think about the first two and then we're gonna have another song and then we'll, we'll think about the third one, the, the harvest. So first of all, the, the kingdom. The kingdom, that's verse 35. Verse 35 is a summary. It's a summary of what Jesus is doing in his ministry. So you can see the verse there up on the screen. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. This is a a summary verse. And if you were to look back at chapter four, you get this verse almost word for word the same. It's It's a summary describing everything that Jesus was doing, and it says there that he's teaching and he's proclaiming. What's he? What's Jesus speaking about? Well, he's speaking about the, the good news, and uh, Matthew describes it as the good news of the kingdom. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word kingdom, uh, but for the people who were listening to Jesus uh, when he spoke these words in Israel, the crowds that were following him, the idea of a kingdom wasn't new to them. This idea of the kingdom is found all the way through uh, the Old Testament. You could say that the story of the whole Bible is the story of the kingdom. Uh, the history of uh, God's people is the, the story of a kingdom. There was a song, I think we had it a few times last year, a kid's song on the when we were doing fully online services. We had a kid's song, uh, and I'm not going to try to describe it, uh, to sing it, but, but it describes the kingdom of God as... God's people in God's place under God's rule enjoying his blessing. I think that's a really good description of, of, of God's kingdom and as you go through the uh, Old Testament you get uh, and into the New Testament you get pictures of the kingdom and if Tom you put the next uh, slide up that'd be great. Uh, there's some pictures on on here uh, and I think here we get uh, at least four pictures of the, the kingdom of God in the Bible. The first picture we get, I've, I've put the tree there uh, to represent the Garden of Eden. I'm sure there was lots of trees in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and in the Garden of Eden, we see God's people, that's Adam and Eve, and they're living, aren't they, in God's place, it's a beautiful garden. Uh, and they're under God's rule, they've got his word, his good word, and they're ad- enjoying his blessing. And uh, they can eat from any tree in the garden except just that one, one tree that's in the middle of the garden, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's the first picture we get of God's kingdom. The second picture is represented by that throne. And this picture is in uh, the people of Israel. As, as God brings them out of Egypt, he plants them in the promised land uh, and he gives them his rule. Uh, the, his rule this time comes in the form of his king, his chosen king. Uh, and they enjoy his blessing. And really the high point of the kingdom uh, represented there in Israel is, is the uh, rule of David and Solomon uh, when enemies are conquered and when there's kind of abundant provision in the kingdom. Uh, but just like uh, the kingdom was spoiled in the garden by sin, the kingdom's also spoiled in Israel, again, by, by sin. The people, don't they, they, they rebel against God. They, t- they turn away from him and God sends them out of the good land and they, they go into exile. So that's the second uh, picture of the kingdom. The third uh, picture of the kingdom is represented by the man with a megaphone. You can see that, that picture on the screen. Uh, this is the picture that we get in the, in the prophets. So even as the people of Israel go into exile, these prophets are sent uh, and they speak and they speak about a coming kingdom. It's a a glorious kingdom when you read the prophets. It's a kingdom where God is going to deal with sin. It's a kingdom where there's going to be a king who's a king forever. He's called the Christ or or the Messiah. So that's the the third uh, picture. The prophets speak to us about God's kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that will begin in Israel, But it will include people from all over the world, from every every nation. And in Matthew's gospel, uh, right at the start, we read about this forever king. And we know now that this king is is Jesus. And Matthew uh, writes about this king. You remember when the wise men went to see Herod? uh, And Herod asked them a question about where, where the king's going to be born this Christ, this king of the Jews. And the wise men, they they tell him some words from the prophets. And they they say this. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And we know that's talking about Jesus, the one who was born in in Bethlehem. And so as we get to Matthew chapter 9, Jesus the king... Is telling the good news about the kingdom. And it's his kingdom. And because the king has come, the kingdom is, is near. What else is Jesus doing? Can you see there in verse 35? What else is Jesus doing? Is He's teaching and preaching. He's also, it says, healing every disease and sickness. All these needy people are flocking to Jesus. And because he's full of compassion... He's healing these people, every disease and sickness. These miracles, though, they're more than just Jesus' acts of compassion. They're, they're, they're like snapshots of his kingdom and, and what it's like. At home on our, our bookshelf, we have some photo albums uh, if you were to come around, which hopefully you will be able to at some point in this year, uh, and, and look at the, the photo albums, you'll see that there's at least one with uh, holiday photos in. And if you were to flick through the, the album, you'd be able to get an idea of what our holiday was, was like. There'll be pictures of us on the beach, probably in our, our hats and coats with the windbreak. Uh, pictures of us maybe playing tennis or at the park or walking in the hills or having a picnic. There'd be sunny days and, and cloudy days, and you'd get a feel as to what the, the holiday was like as a whole, even though you weren't there. These uh, healings that, that Jesus is performing are a bit like that. They're like snapshots that help us see the kingdom. They're a photo album of what his, his kingdom is like. So Jesus made people well. He, he fed the hungry. He, he cast out evil. In chapter 9, Jesus even raises a a young girl who has died. He raises her to life. And so we get these photographs of what his kingdom is like. It's a kingdom uh, without evil where sin is forgiven, where death is, is no more. All the other kingdoms of this world, they're spoiled, aren't they? They're spoiled by sin and sickness. People who live in those kingdoms live in the fear of death. We know those realities, don't they? But that's not what Jesus' kingdom is like. His kingdom is a a glorious kingdom. And so he's telling people uh, the good news. The surprise uh, is, is how Jesus sets up his kingdom. That's the big surprise. Usually when people set up kingdoms, what do they do? They get an army, they go to war, they ride a horse. Jesus doesn't set up his kingdom that way. Jesus sets up his kingdom through his death and through his resurrection. That's the very, very heart of the good news, isn't it? King Jesus dies so that we can be forgiven of our sins. He dies so that anyone who comes to him can be welcomed into his kingdom. Victoria reminded us, didn't she, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he rises again to rule as conquering king of a kingdom where death has been defeated. So with the death and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived. It's now, it's been established. But there's also a a not yet, isn't there, about this kingdom. It's now, but it's also not yet. We're waiting for the, the fullness of his kingdom to be revealed. And we're longing for that, aren't we? Listen to a description of the kingdom when Jesus returns. This is the kingdom in all its fullness. Revelation 21, beautiful verses. I'm sure lots of us have read a lot. Uh, This is the picture of the kingdom in all its fullness. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's the fullness of this kingdom story, God's people in his place under his rule, and enjoying his blessing. That is a a glorious kingdom, isn't it? That's a kingdom we we all need to be part of. So that's the first word, uh, the kingdom. The second word we're going to think about is is the crowd. And this is verse 36. So when Jesus is preaching and teaching, there's great crowds that appear. That is always the case. Wherever Jesus was teaching and preaching, there was big crowds. And these crowds were just made up of ordinary people. Jesus would go into a village and a town, and the people in and the town and the village would, would crowd around. The kind of people that you would see uh, queuing at the doctor's surgery, the kind of people that you would see uh, getting their shopping at the supermarket, the kind of people you'd see walking up and down the high street, the kind of children that you'd see in, in the classroom. These would have been the people that made up this, this crowd, just ordinary people. People like uh, you and me—we don't get many crowds at the minute, do we? But you, you know, you know the kind of people that would make up the crowds. People like us, people like our neighbours, people like the the ones we work with—just ordinary crowd. But listen to how Jesus sees the crowd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus sees this crowd. If we could have the next slide, Tom, there's a couple of pictures up there uh, to help us as we think about the crowd. So you can see there, uh, there's a crowd of ordinary people, different ages, men, women, boys, girls. And as Jesus sees the crowd, he sees people who are harassed and helpless. This crowd in Israel will be representative of any crowd, really representative of a crowd you might see gathered in Lancaster. Just ordinary people. And Jesus sees this crowd as they really are. He sees uh, like behind the mask. Jesus sees past the efforts to make it seem like we have it all together and we're in control. He sees past our efforts to, to fix things and make things right. He sees us as we are and he describes Uh, Was with two words harassed and helpless harassed and helpless distressed and weary that's that's the truth isn't it unable to help ourselves when faced with our our real problems real problems like our, our selfish hearts real problems like our aging bodies real problems like that fear of being uncovered that makes us want to hide Real problems like the grave that awaits. We're harassed and helpless, aren't we, in the face of those, those real problems? Jesus sees us as we are. It's not a particularly flattering picture, is it? <laughs> harassed and helpless. Neither is the image that Jesus uses to describe the crowd there. He describes them as like sheep without a shepherd. feel a bit of a fraud stood here. Uh, talking about sheep without a shepherd and and what it all means, uh, because most of you know that picture better than I do. This week, I went for a walk up the hill towards uh, Docker, and as I was walking, I could see some sheep and lambs out in the field. Uh, They looked carefree and and well-fed. I think they were Sandra's sheep, uh, and as we were walking, actually, Sandra must have been on her way to to care for them. But think of, of what sheep would look like without a shepherd, Think of sheep with no one to feed them. Think of uh, sheep with no one to, to care for them and tend to their wounds and treat their diseases. Think of, of sheep uh, without a shepherd. They'd get lost, they'd go astray, they'd follow each other, they'd get stuck in the hedge or, or stuck in the ditch. Think of sheep without anyone to protect them. It'd be Pray for various... Uh, animals, especially in this uh, context of what Jesus was speaking to, they'd be running in fear of death and danger. And Jesus looks out on the crowd and he sees sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless. What, what effect does, does what Jesus see have on him? Well, it moves him with compassion. It moves him with compassion. That's wonderful, isn't it? Jesus sees these uh, hapless and helpless and harassed people like sheep without a shepherd. He doesn't roll his eyes. He's, he's moved with compassion. That word compassion is a really strong word. We've got a heart up there on the screen. But the word actually is, is less to do with our hearts and more to do with our tummies, to do with our stomachs. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Uh, But the root of the word uh, comes from our tummy area, not from our our heart area. When we feel things deeply, we often talk about our tummies. We talk about our gut-wrenching feeling. Or or, or we talk about our stomach being in knots. Or our stomach churning. It's that feeling when you're out with some children and they go too close to the edge of a cliff and your stomach kind of turns over. It's a gut-wrenching feeling. And when Jesus sees the crowd, his stomach churns with compassion. It's wonderful. Jesus harassed and helpless. He's not indifferent. He doesn't turn away. He looks on us with, with deep compassion. And in his compassion, he heals the sick. He makes the weak ones well. But his compassion goes even f- further than that, doesn't it? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's such great compassion. And I just want to remind us this morning that Jesus hasn't changed. <laughs> Jesus is still the same Jesus, full of compassion. He looks down on us, uh, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion. When Jesus went through these towns and villages in Israel, preaching and proclaiming, there was a word that he used. It's a word we use quite a lot in church, and it's the word repent. Repent. What does repent mean? Repent means just to to turn around. And Jesus was calling people to repent. He was calling them to, to turn around, to stop going their own way stop trying to make their own kingdoms and to turn and become part of his kingdom. And today, this morning, the good shepherd, with great compassion, still speaks to us through his word and he calls us to repent, to trust and follow him, to listen to his words and to become part of his kingdom. This is how Jesus sees us this morning. have got a couple of questions as we, we think about Uh, The crowd and the way Jesus sees us. The first question is this, do we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us? Do we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us? Often because of our pride, we don't want to admit the truth that Jesus sees, do we? We want to be strong. We want to be those who can fix it. But we aren't. Uh, behind the image, peel back the mask, we are harassed and helpless. Many of us, I think this morning, have come to see ourselves as Jesus sees us, haven't we? And we've done what Peter uh, describes in his letter. We, have, uh, we were straying, Peter writes, but now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Many of us have done that, but maybe not all of us have, have done that yet. Do we see ourselves as, as Jesus sees us? And then the second question is, Do we see others as Jesus sees them? Each morning as we get up, as we go to school, as we go to work, as we we go about our day, do we have our Jesus glasses on? Do we see past the labels that people cling to for security and meaning? Do we see past the image that people try to betray, And do we see people like Jesus sees them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Think about the the pandemic. Pandemic's revealed this truth, hasn't it? That we're distressed and helpless. Do we see uh, in this a symptom of our real need? Not a a vaccine, not social distancing, but our, our real need, people's real need is to know the good shepherd. The one who can lead them through the valley of the shadow of death. As those who belong to Jesus, do we look out on the crowds and the people that we live alongside? Are we moved with compassion like Jesus is moved with compassion? Does our stomach churn like his does? They're questions, aren't they, for us to ponder uh, in the week ahead. Do we see like Jesus sees? So that's the the kingdom and the crowd. Uh, We're going to have a a song now. It's going to come up on, on the screen and then we'll think about the harvest. Thanks, Tom. Should have all been up on our feet then, shouldn't we, doing, doing the actions? They, they will be doing this afternoon, this afternoon's service. Right, uh, let's think now. So we've, we've, thought, about, uh, the kingdom, we? we've thought about the kingdom, and we've thought about the crowd. Let's now think about the harvest. The harvest, verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Last spring at the, the start of the, the pandemic, when it was all kicking off, uh, I read an article about the, the fruit harvest. I think it was a Sky, Sky headline. They said this, a third of this summer's food harvest could go to waste on British farms because of a chronic shortage of labor caused by the coronavirus outbreak. Charities and farmers are warning. So the harvest was there, there was, there was lots of it. Uh, and the problem is that there just wasn't people to pick it. If You pop the next uh, slide up, Tom, there's a picture there of a, an apple harvest. It's just going to waste. Plenty of harvest, but it's all on the floor getting spoiled. And as Jesus looks on the crowd, he doesn't just think about sheep and shepherds. He also thinks about a harvest, a plentiful harvest, he says. But the workers are few. A bit later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells a parable about the the harvest. You know the parable. It's the parable of the the weeds and the wheat, or the the wheat and the tares, depending on what translation you've got. In the parable, uh, there's, a, there's a farmer who, who sh- sows a field full of wheat in the night while he's sleeping. An enemy comes along and sows a load of weeds or tares in, in the field. The, uh, the workers get up in the morning and they're kind of horrified by what's happened and they ask the, the master what they should do and the master tells them to leave the weeds and the, the wheat to grow together. Uh, and at the end... Uh, There'll be the harvest time. And at the end, the reapers will gather in the weeds and they'll throw the weeds in the fire. But the weeds will be safely gathered in, in the barn. And Jesus explains this parable to his disciples about the harvest. And he identifies the field, the harvest field, as the world. And the harvest is about this great end time harvest, a final harvest day that's coming at the end of the age when the harvest is gathered in and the wheat and the weeds are separated. He says the wheat, they're the children of the kingdom. They're the children of God who belong to his kingdom. And the weeds are the ones who belong to the evil one. They don't belong to this glorious kingdom that we've already thought about. And as Jesus looks on the crowds with eyes of compassion, he thinks about this harvest that's come in. This final division at the end of the age. It's going to be a, an awesome an awesome day in the the true sense of the world, this final harvest. To be outside of God's kingdom on this final harvest day is going to be to be outside of God's kingdom forever. There's a a song, isn't there, that we sing at at harvest time. Uh, And one of the verses goes like this. For the Lord our God shall come and shall bring his harvest home. He himself on that great day worthless things shall take away. Give his angels charge at last in the fire, the weeds to cast, but the fruitful ears to store in his care forevermore. That song comes right out of Matthew 13, this parable of the, the weeds and, and the wheat. And this parable means that this word harvest has, a, has an urgency about it. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, that's an, that's an urgent thing. And Jesus is not talking about workers for the final day. He's talking about workers now. Workers so that people can hear the, the good news of this glorious kingdom to repent and turn to Jesus before the final harvest day comes. Plentiful harvest, but not many, not many workers. In fact, as Jesus speaks these words, uh, he, uh, he is the... The worker, <laughs> he describes himself as the, the Lord of the harvest in verse 39. He, 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 that's what he's doing. He's, he's working as he goes through the, the towns and villages of Israel. And Jesus' response to this situation of a big harvest and few workers, it's a bit of a surprising response, what he says, isn't it? There in verse 38, "...the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is off for you, therefore pray." Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The first thing Jesus calls his disciples to do is to pray. Pray the, not the Lord's prayer, but the Lord of the harvest prayer. And the Lord of the harvest prayer is send workers into the harvest field. More workers so that people can hear the good news. There are some circumstances that we face, aren't there, when we just find it hard to know what to pray. As we look out on the crowds, as we live our lives alongside all kinds of people, and we see them as Jesus sees them, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, we know what to pray. Jesus has given us a prayer here. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into the harvest field. And as we pray this prayer, there's something for us to bear in mind. The very people who are called to pray this prayer at the end of chapter 9 are the very same ones who are sent as workers at the beginning of chapter 10. So the prayer for workers becomes the prayer of of the workers. And as you uh, look into chapter 10, if you want to do that this afternoon, we're definitely doing that as we look towards our home groups. If you look into chapter 10, you'll see how Jesus describes the harvest field And the harvest field isn't all sunshine and smiles. There'll be some who listen to the good news, yes, and and welcome it, welcome, welcome the Lord Jesus. Turn and follow the good shepherd. But there will also be people who reject the good news. And so even before the kind of great end time harvest, this division between weeds and wheat is already becoming apparent, in chapter 10, Jesus describes what to expect in the harvest field. And he uses phrases like not welcome, betrayed, put to death, persecuted. And so this Lord of the Harvest prayer, it's not a prayer to pray lightly. But as, he, as, as his disciples, it's a prayer we, we must pray. And as we pray, we know that we are, we're sent. We're sent in his strength with the gifts that he's, he's given us to spread the good news of the kingdom before King Jesus returns. As we respond or begin to respond uh, to what God has spoken to us this morning, we're going to just take some time to pray together now uh, about what we've been thinking about. And Joy and Caleb and Levi and Melody are going to come and lead us in those prayers. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your wonderful kingdom that will never end and for bringing us into that kingdom through your death and resurrection. Thank you that you will make all things new and we are looking forward to the time when we will know your perfect healing from all suffering. Sorry Jesus for going our own way. We are like sheep without a shepherd and we need your help. Thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus, that you see us and you have compassion on us. Thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the Lord of the harvest and that you are gathering a harvest of people into your kingdom from every part of the world. Please send out workers into the harvest field. Please grow your kingdom here in this area where you have placed us as a church and where we live and work. Please use us to spread your message among our families, friends, neighbours and people we meet. Thank you for your heart of love for people and please give us your compassion for those who don't yet know you. We ask these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.